You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com. And, of course, I will answer as many questions as I can. You know, even today, I walk into the office, and the secretary tells me how her nephew called her with a question. They didn't know the answer. I gave her the answer. So easy. If you know the answer. Say it in class all the time. If you know the answer, then the answer is very easy. And, of course, if you'd rather go to our webpage, which is the best way to go, at letstalktorah.net, you can leave your comments, your questions. We'll get back to you. And, of course, the all-important donate button is there. You can help the show, help us grow, help us uh, flourish, as we like to say. And there's different levels. And if you want a shout-out, if you like anonymous, whatever works for you, of course, works for us. And we do thank you in advance. It is unbelievable. According to my watch, today is November 16th. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty close. And even my computer says November 16th. And I walked into the studio without my jacket. Really, I just walk around with a jacket, and then I put on a chair. I never wear the jacket. But how could I walk around with a jacket when it is 66 degrees outside in the middle of November? Now, in two weeks from now, I'll be crying that it's, you know, 10 degrees outside, and this will be forgotten. But it is amazing weather. If you have a chance to get out, you got to get out in this weather. This is just really gorgeous weather. And it's been gorgeous weather all week. As a matter of fact, in Washington, D.C., earlier this week, the weather was also beautiful. And there were almost 290,000 Jews that uh, were in Washington, D.C., peaceful, making themselves known, letting the politicians know that the, that the American Jews do care what happens in Congress and we do care what happens in Israel and unfortunately, 900, probably a few more, um, people from Detroit were unable to go to the, uh, to the march. To the, uh, to they were in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you heard this, read this on the news. But in Detroit, what they did was they did have some buses, but a lot of people, they had chartered flights. The Jewish Federation arranged. There were chartered flights and you paid for your flight, they put you in the orange plane, the green plane, the blue plane, whatever plane you got put on. I would have liked to go, actually, but um, I'm a teacher, and I just can't get out of class because I want to run to Washington, and they weren't letting us go because then who's going to teach the children? But anyways, so you have these 900 people, they fly into Washington, all pumped, all excited, and the bus drivers, I, you know, it's bad luck on the company you picked, the bus drivers decided they were not taking Jewish people to this protest, which is, like, just outrageous, right? As they charter the buses. The bus company hires these drivers, and a group of these drivers decided they're not 
driving these Jews. Now, I'm not sure what they thought they were going to accomplish. There's 290,000 people there. No one will notice the minus 900. No one. So all you did was get yourself fired, get a lot of people unhappy, and you know, speaking to a friend, the people I feel the worst for is the hundreds of hours that people put in in the Federation to make everything work. The logistics and the tickets and the flights and who's going and, and how many buses you need and just all the arrangements. It's hundreds of hours. It's manpower. And these people put in real time to make it work. And because of a couple lousy bus drivers, you had people lose out. Yes, I'm sure they, they refunded the money, whether people wanted it back or didn't want it back. That's, that's really irrelevant. But when you do something, right, your actions affect a lot of people. So you think you're making a statement, I'm not letting these people go to the protest. First of all, you accomplish zero. You, the people who took a day or two off work, you took away their time. You stole their time. You you threw in the garbage hundreds of hours of work that people put in for what? So you could lose your job? So they're going to sue the bus company? People are going to get sued. Who cares? Like, the money is not going to give back the time. Right? In other words, when God's going to say, you stole hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of people's time, it's not just, well, you know, I made my own protest. That's not a protest. That's stealing time. And... And it's really more than that because, and this this troubles me in 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 these times. That is, America has freedom of speech. You're entitled to say what you want. Freedom of speech doesn't mean I can stop you from saying what you want. It's not my goal to stop you. Now again, I have a right to say if I don't like what you what you say, I can I I don't have to hire you in my company. Right? We're, we're all confused. The people that are protesting, so they're saying, you're not allowed to say what I don't like. That you have no right to do. And they want to say, and even though I'm stopping you and I have my personal feelings, uh, but you have to hire me even if what I believe in doesn't jive with your company. So they want both sides of the equation and they deserve neither. I can say whatever I want. You don't have to hire me. You don't have to buy my product. Look what's happening to companies across America. Bud Light, hello. And Target, I think, is uh, starting to set themselves up for the same problem. So you can't force me to buy your product. You can't force me to hire you. At the same time, I am entitled to say what I wish. That's the beauty of, uh, of free speech. But to stop me... To, you're not you're not gonna drive the bus like like what are you thinking, like that's not American, that sounds like you're a communist. Whatever, okay, that's my soapbox. It's time to move on. Let's learn something. So this week's story abortion, we are in Toldos, and Isaac has married Rebecca. Isaac has married Rivka, and they don't have children. And same problem you had with Abraham and Sarah. You now have the problem with Isaac and Rebecca. They have difficulty having children. And God expects them to pray, and they do pray. And unlike what happened with Abraham and Sarah, which we're talking many, 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 many years, um, after 10 years, 
God answers the prayers of Isaac. Very interesting verse. Because we have Isaac and Rebekah here. And Isaac has a father who is a tzaddik, who's righteous. That's Abraham. And of course, Rivka, Rebekah, has a father who's a wicked guy. His name is Besuel. And both parts of the equation are necessary for the Jewish people. We need a Rebekah who's righteous, whose parents, siblings were wicked. Because that's going to put inside the Jewish people that ability, that wherewithal, to withstand when we're dealing with wicked people. We, we, we have to be able to deal with them. However we deal with them, move along, but we can deal with them. They don't overwhelm us and change who we're supposed to be. However, however, as, as far as prayer goes, it happens to be that the prayer of the righteous, who's the son of a righteous, is more powerful. That's why it says God answered Isaac's prayers. Okay, so what happens? So Rivka is pregnant, and she's pregnant with twins. Famous Esau and Jacob, right? She does not know that she's pregnant with twins, and she's feeling this fighting inside of her. Some say she passed by the house of uh, idol worship, and it felt like a child was trying to get out. And she passed by the synagogue, and, uh, and again the child was trying to get out, or whatever it was, she understood there's some type of fighting going on over here. This troubled her to no end, so much so that she went to Shem, the son of Noah, who was a prophet, to say, what's going on? You would think she should go to her husband. He's also a prophet. Like, why, why are you going elsewhere? But sometimes, a person can't go to their spouse. The spouse is going to say, you've been crying for the last 10 years, you wanted to be pregnant. Now you're pregnant, you're complaining again. It's not going to go over well. So she has to go to an outsider. Sometimes you go to an outsider. So she goes to Shem. And Shem tells her that you're going to have two children. One is going to be very righteous, and one is going to be very wicked. Okay, now I understand. No problem. Now here's what becomes very, very fascinating. Sounds like, and we talk about this all the time, that there's such a thing called free will. I have a choice. I have a choice to be righteous. I have a choice to be wicked. Every time I do anything, I like those bus drivers. You think you don't have a choice. You always have a choice. You're entitled to make the wrong choice, but you can be wicked. You can be righteous. You always have a choice. But if the prophet is telling you you have two children in your stomach and one is wicked and one is righteous, sounds like there's no choice. How could that be? So I saw a very simple, clear, beautiful answer. They both have totally different personalities. One personality will make it be quite easy to be righteous. Doesn't mean he's going to have to be righteous. Just means that that's the personality that he has. And one has a personality that he's going to be wicked. Doesn't have to be. He, of course, could fight that tendency. But it's going to be hard. So... The likelihood is 
that the easy person has to be righteous will be righteous. The easy person has to be wicked will be wicked. But no one says that's what has to happen. It's, it reminds me of a beautiful parable that they used to hand out years ago before school started. There was this amazing school. It had all kinds of animals. And it had, you know, the, the ducks were the best swimmers and the monkeys were the best climbers and the birds were the best flyers and, uh, and the squirrels were the best at hopping from branch to branch. And then a new administration came along. And the administration said, ha, look at this. I see these ducks are great swimmers, A's in swimming, but they're horrible climbing trees. We will have to give them remedial work in climbing trees. And, and these birds, they never run. Well, they're going to have to start practicing running. No more flying. And the squirrels that are great at jumping and, 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 and climbing amongst the branches, we've got to get them in the water more often. Right? You can only imagine that at the end of the day, um, all the superstars disappeared, had nervous breakdowns probably, um, ruined any chance they had of success, right? Because the school lost its vision, right? As when we deal with children in a classroom, I'm supposed to look at everybody's strengths, yes, and weaknesses, and I'm supposed to work on the weaknesses. But if I work on the weaknesses at the expense of where you're strong, I'm going to end up with nothing. First, make sure I build up all your strengths, and yes, we're going to have to find a way to deal with weaknesses. And some weaknesses are not worth dealing with because you have so many other good character traits and so many other strengths. That's what happens with children. They all are born with strengths and weaknesses. And yes, those weaknesses can lead them on a path that's not so good. Then play to their strengths. What, whatever the strength happens to be, that's where you have to play with it. Now, now we have to take it a step further. So now it comes out that Rivka knows her children have two different tendencies. She knows that Asav has the tendency to be wicked. She could tell that to her husband and doom Asav forever. So instead of going ahead, instead of going ahead, and dooming Esav, she doesn't tell Isaac anything. So now, Isaac is going to put full-fledged effort into, into helping Esav, at least he tries, to become righteous, to become good. Esav can choose not, but his father is giving him that fighting chance, and his mother is giving him the fighting chance because she's not telling and Esav recognizes this in his mother. He recognizes that his mother sees right through him. He knows his mother knows exactly who it is, who he is. And still, and still, his mother doesn't tell his father to give him a fighting chance. That trust, that recognition that Esav has in his mother ends up that Esav gets married, he doesn't trust his wives, like with his special clothes. But he trusts his mother. Because he knows his mother has his best interest at heart. That, that 
Asa recognizes, and he appreciates it. Because he, he, he knows that his mother cares about who and what he is. So he trusts her. He knows his mother loves him. doesn't mean his mother doesn't know who he is. She knows who he is, and she lets him live. So let's backtrack a little bit. So we're talking about Jacob and Asa, these two that are fighting from the womb, right? They're fighting from the womb. As uh, I saw someone uh, mention there, uh, write down, no one has really identified the reason for anti-Semitism. It defies logic. Just look what's going on in the world right now. They are coming out of the woodwork. They are coming out of the woodwork. It is not my job to defend Israel, how they treat the Palestinians. It's not my job to defend the Arabs who don't let the Palestinians into their land. It is not my job to inform people um, who and what the Palestinians believe in, what their charter says, that eh, if the people who are defending the Palestinians really understood who they were, they would be defending them. I'm not interested in going there. Where I am interested in going is that people keep imagining they can figure out why there's anti-Semitism. And they can't figure it out. It, it just is. Right? You know, uh, you build Holocaust centers, we're going to teach the world. And anti-Semitism is exploding. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. What's also amazing is the names of these children. So Esav is, is a word that means he's complete. He's born, he's complete, he's done. What you think about it is really fascinating. I tell my class all the time that as parents, as teachers, we have to, we have to discipline children in a classroom and at home because how are the children supposed to figure out what's called appropriate behavior? Who told them? Parents told them. I hope the videos didn't tell them, right? The parents told them. The teachers told them. And slowly but surely, as they mature, we try to inculcate them with what we believe will make them into moral, you know, upstanding citizens. But if Ace is complete, and we already said his tendencies is to be wicked, that means he thinks he has nowhere to grow. Nowhere to grow, nothing to do, no responsibility. Why do you think he's going to become good? Right? He's Asaph. He's already complete. No one is already complete. And maybe that's his downfall. Jacob, on the other hand, a very interesting name. The word Akev means a heel, right? The right angle by our foot that connects us to our leg. So it says Jacob grabbed onto the heel of Asaph because the, the heel is the crooked part. Even though Jacob is called the man of truth, he's called in multiple places. His, his tendency is to be MS, is to be truthful, but he grabs onto crookedness, meaning he knows how to deal with a crook. Somebody who's not straight, to be straight, he can be straight. But when he has to deal with a person who's crooked, he knows how to deal with him. Right? He uses his first trick right away at the beginning of the Torah portion. Um, so Abraham dies. It doesn't say it here. It says really last week's Torah portion. So Abraham dies. So there's a meal 
that we prepare for the mourners. And that meal always has round things. Nowadays, they do bagels. And those days, they would cook a lentil soup because the lentil beans are round. Shows the mourner has no mouth. It's symbolic the world goes around. So uh, people are born, people live, people get married, people have children. It's a cycle of life. So Jacob is making this pot of soup. And Asaph comes running in from the field. He's committed multiple atrocities. Sleeping around, murdered uh, Nimrod, the king, stole his coat, and he's running for his life. And he's starving. And he sees this bowl of soup. He says to Jacob, I need the soup. Jacob says, well, you're the firstborn. You sell me the firstborn, I'll give you the soup. Now, you could say that like that's not a fair deal, right? As he's... He's starving. He's running for his life. Right? So you're going to say yes to anything. You worry about uh, what you sold later. But the verse says that Esau made fun of the Bechera. To him, it was worthless. To him, even as a starving person, the few pennies that he'd be willing to pay, the soup has more value than being a firstborn. And Esau says, I'm so hungry, just pour it down my throat. Right? That, but Esau considers that a trick. And the truth is, it's not dealing in the most straight way. And even later in the Torah portion, when uh, when Rebecca hears that Isaac wants to bless Esav, and he sends Esav out, so Jacob needs these blessings. The spiritual blessings at the end of the Torah portion, that Isaac always knew was going to Jacob. That was clear. It was, the question was, who's getting the, the physical, the money, the wealth? So Isaac thought that should go to Esau. That way Jacob can study all day long, and Esau will support him. Rebecca knew that would never fly. She knew what kind of person Esau was. The kind of person Esau is, is he ain't sharing any of his money. It's not happening. But the problem is that Isaac... If he sees Jacob, he's not giving him the physical wealth blessings. So the only way he's going to get the blessings he needs is to pretend that he's Esau. So he's going to put on the goat skin. He's going to feel like a hairy guy. And he's not going to change his voice. It could be the brother sounded the same. Anyways, he's going to speak properly. He's going to speak the way um, Jacob speaks but he's going to trick his father. So again, you see the man of truth is busy, is busy with tricks. So what gives? So, there's an interesting medrash. God wanted to create the world. He asked, I believe it was peace, charity, and, and uh, truth that we should create the world. So peace and truth say the world's not a peaceful place. The world is not a truthful place. Don't create the world. Charity says, eh, the world's a charitable place. So it says that God threw truth to the ground and created the world. Like, hello. Like, what, 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 what? you can't throw truth to the ground. I asked for your opinion. I don't like what you said. So I beat you up. And I, I don't listen to you anyways. Like, why bother? So the Mirtelio says that there's two kinds of truth. I always give this story, makes it very simple. You see uh, 
Tony is running after Bartholomew, and he's got his gun, and he's going to kill him as soon as he catches up. And Bartholomew ducks into the closet, and Tony says, which way did he go? So if I ask you, is it called telling the truth if you say he's right there in the closet? Is that the truth? Is that the truth? That's not the truth. That's, that's wrong. So in this world, we don't live in a black and white world. The next world, in heaven, they live in a black and white world. It's either true or not true. But in this world, we got to live. And the living in this world, the, what the Torah wants me to do becomes truth. So, for example, you had in uh, two weeks ago, the Torah portion. Um, so Sarah, when she hears that she's going to have children with Abraham, she laughs to herself and she thinks to herself, my husband's too old. When God repeats it over to Abraham, he says to Abraham, why does Sarah say she's too old? That's not true. It's not true. But the point is that it would be the wrong thing to say. You can't tell. You can't, don't insult Abraham that your wife said you're too old. Why are you insulting him? You want to get the message across that she had the wrong thought. Okay. So that's what the Torah wants. But the music is playing. And as always, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, for the response to listening. I can't do it without you. Thank you to under production team. We have Alan in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRS Dreamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house 